Welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast. Helping you invest in property for freedom, choice and profit. You'll learn new, innovative and multiple streams of property income. Whether you want to start, scale or systemize. And even if you don't have deposits. Hi, my name is Kevin McDonnell and welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast. This episode is a takeover with Progressive co-founders Rob Moore and Mark Homer. Rob Moore and Mark Homer co-founded Progressive Property in the 2000s and have gone on to build a multi-million pound property portfolio. They own, co-own and manage hundreds of properties in the Peterborough area. And Mark Homer is the UK's leading property investment expert. In this episode, you're going to learn how to perfectly invest a half a million pounds. So let's get straight into the episode. See you next week. Hi, it's Rob Moore here and I am with my business partner and co-founder of Progressive Property way back in January 2007, Mark Homer. So we have been doing a series, a How to Invest series. And some of these were exclusive to the YouTube channel. All recordings of this series will be on the Progressive Property YouTube channel, which is tiny.cc forward slash pp. TV or Capitals. I think Harry's going to put it up on the screen right now. Tiny.cc forward slash PPTV. So we started with how to invest £5,000 for the best return. Then we did 10000 25000 50000 100000 250000 250000 and now how to invest £500,000 for the best return. Of course, this is our opinion based on Uh, me pretty much 15 years, Mark, 20 plus years business and investing experience. You should always do your own due diligence and research. We've talked about single lets moving up to commercial. We've talked about watches, cars, businesses, um, the stock market, et cetera, most classes. So, Mark, you've got £500,000 to invest. What do you think is going to give it the best return? Well, I think Moving into sort of half a million pounds, you're going to have a lot more options in terms of development projects and buying properties with cash. It's a meaningful amount of money. Um, so I think you could take that money. You could go and buy maybe pubs. You could maybe buy, I don't know, some sort of sort of houses, residential properties that need sort of conversion um, or, or renovating. You could do some shops. Maybe you could do an office. Um, you know, buy them sort of unconsented. Um, maybe, you know, you buy them subject to planning or, or subject to something else. Um, then take them, get the planning consent. And then after that, you can then get development finance uh, and borrow half of, you probably borrow half of the GDV. So, you know, you, you could probably potentially do a, I don't know, a million, million and a quarter pound project. Um off £500,000 and then you develop it out and maybe refinance it and keep it or, mm. or maybe sell it. But I think you're you're into that zone then because you've got £500,000 which you could use, you could use all of it um, with the right deal on a cash purchase mm. which, which gets you a lot of pubs, some shops, offices, you know, depending where you are and lots of residential properties mm. and land. You can yeah. buy land. Uh, and then get build from the ground up yeah Yeah. get consent on it and then then build on it Mm. yeah so as we move through our journey going from single lets to multi-lets i recall rightly we've bought pubs we bought um offices we bought an old police station didn't we we did that That was a police station that became an accountant's office we converted that um sort of private members club um pubs um yeah shops we've done offices Mm. yeah loads of stuff Mm. yeah so Let's move back to move forward. If someone hasn't done big deals like that yet, you know, really million pound GDV kind of deals, do you think maybe they should start with single lets but do a higher volume? I do. Um, And I've I've put a number down. I think you could do 14 single lets quite easily um, if they were sort of low, I don't know, 120, 130, 140,000. That'll give you a 35 grand sort of deposit and refurb pot. Uh, and you could have 14 running simultaneously uh, and then refurbish them all once every six to nine months and keep sort of buy, refurbish, remortgaging, uh, rolling the money over. Uh, it's a great way to cut your teeth. Really, really, you know, good for sort of long term capital growth. Uh, try and buy the houses. Uh, I, I, I 
just think you, you, you're you going to end up with a, a great return on investment. We've spoken earlier on in this series. You're likely, you know, if you take get a bit of leverage, you're likely to get 15, 20, 25 percent return on capital invested. Uh, I would imagine most of your money comes back on refinance as long as you buy them cheap enough and you can buy cash. Um, so you'd maybe reduce them from the 14 by buying cash. Um, you know, instead of taking mortgages out and all of them, you can buy all the sort of fire damage ones. You buy the ones that aren't mortgageable. There's no kitchens, there's no bathrooms, no flooring, all the stuff that lots of other people can't buy because they need a mortgage. Mm. That stuff is going to be open to you. And therefore, because there's so few people that can buy those, the price will generally be much better. Mm. So you think you actually can get better discounts when you buy for cash? I, I mean, do, yeah. So, so I, do. I sometimes wonder if it's a bit of an old wives' tale, or actually, if you do have more leverage. <laughs> Estate agents will use it against you because yeah. as soon as you've got cash, you go, oh, well, you're going to get a great deal on this. And, mm. and of course, if you just accept what they say, <laughs> yeah. um, then usually you won't have over asking yeah, price. Yeah, you <laughs> need to know what, what a great deal actually looks like. Yeah. yeah. But you reckon because you have the ability to what buy quickly, buy stuff that otherwise you yeah. wouldn't get a mortgage on. I believe right now as well, mortgages many of them are taking a bit longer. Slow. Yeah. I, I, Messy. I've got a buy to let mortgage that I'm refinancing with my stepfather at the moment. I'm not joking. We started six months ago, <laughs> yeah, and then um, I, I I'm funny. I mean, the commercial lender we use, Lloyd's. I mean, you know, they're, they're usually really slow. They're fast compared to the buy-to-let lot now mm. um, because there's so many applications gone in. I suspect because of the stamp duty and, I don't know, lots of people moving. Yeah. Um, so all the mortgage lenders have got huge caseloads. Mm. Mm. So um, what about conversion opportunities? Obviously, you sort of mentioned it, but not in detail. Um, obviously, retail's hit a bit at the moment. Yeah. There may be some empty units on the high street. Might that be good for converting into residential? Yeah, I think so. I mean, lots of units on the high street have been battered. Valuations are dropping uh, in a big way or have dropped in a big way. Um, lots of those units are empty. So I think there's a big opportunity there. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, I think there's a good opportunity um, to, 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 to go and get maybe shops, put a shop in and, and convert the uppers like we have been. I just think the valuations through COVID have dropped a big, you know, in a big, big way. Um, and I think there's a lot of runway here. There's lots more to come. Yeah. We're only at the beginning of this. Uh, lots more has moved online. And I think we're going to be able to buy more and more of that stuff. It's harder to finance. Um, when Lloyd's came out, you I don't compared know. compared to um, buy to yeah, yeah, compared to residential and compared to, say, an office investment or compared to especially an industrial or warehouse investment, um, you know, I, I, I've heard, you know, if you've got, said to me, if you've got more than 30% retail in your portfolio with that bank, um, a commercial lender I was talking to a week or two ago, uh, he said we, we wouldn't do it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, because of that, there are going to be a lot more deals with mm -hmm. the retail. Yeah. So um, buy-to-lets and refurbs and remortgages. Yeah. Um, Turning police stations, pubs, clubs, you name it, shops yeah. into parked, residential, park commercial, all yeah. sound good, but all sound quite involved. They are. Um, what about if someone wants sort of a, a more hands-off investment? Could, would, would it be wise at the moment to do just purely commercial or is that risky right now? Um, where might they put a few hundred grand um, where they don't want to be actively investing? Yeah, um, they could buy some commercial buildings. Um, clearly, we've spoken about industrial and warehouses, which are generally doing quite well, but they're probably more toppy at the moment because they're the flavour of the month. Um, maybe they could do some first charge lending where they lend money out, potentially. Um, you know, good, good, better sized lumps, 500,000 more people are probably going to be interested in borrowing that, maybe some bridging. Um, that's possible. Get a good um, lawyer, I guess, if you're yeah, experienced. 500 grand will buy you blocks. Mm. You know, that, that'd that be good. Blocks of flats, buy the freehold. Yeah. Maybe it needs a refurb, refurbish it, and then rent all the flats out. Mm. Um, I, I think they're good investments. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and, um, you know, you're going to have control of it because you've got the freehold. It's like buying a house. You've got all the, you know, the sort of nasty sort of ground rent and all that sort of stuff. Um, and um, I think there's, yeah, there's really good really good opportunities there and the values have really dropped and mm. i think they're probably going up um and there are plenty of tenants in the right places mm. yeah 
With 500 grand, would you put all of the 500 grand into investments or would you keep any cash contingency? Yeah, definitely not. I'd have some stock market stuff, as we've mentioned before. Um, ironically, if you're getting into this sort of money, you an IFA would be more interested in talking to you. Um, not that I'm recommending that. I, I think you'd probably better just going to Vanguard or or Harvey's Lansdowne and selling, your managing your own, putting a tracker portfolio together and doing that. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's some, you know, you definitely need to keep some cash. I'll probably keep at least 10%, 15%, something like that in cash. Mm. Um, keep it to one side. Yeah. yeah. So we don't want to repeat ourselves in this series. So we've already covered about investing in the stock market using something like Hargreaves, Lansdowne or Vanguard, which enables you to invest into the stock market and your ISAs. I guess with 500 grand, you want to match your ISA every year minimum, don't you? Of course. I mean, you'd always put the 20,000 away into your ISA for sure every mm. year. Mm. And I suppose if, if you're married, you might do both. You might even do for your children. Obviously, that's your decision. Um, okay. So I know you probably love property more than any other asset class. So let's stay on that subject for a moment. Might it be wise to buy your own office and start a company? We bought our own Absolutely. office. Absolutely. I think it's a very good idea. I mean, an example with this office park that we're sitting in at the moment, um, I think we've got 11,000, 12,000 square foot total. Um, and we, um, you know, if, if, you, if you wanted to, let's say you bought the building we're in at the moment. Let's say this building, I think, is... The calculator's coming out. Uh, it's 5,300 square foot. And I think at the moment you'd probably buy this building for about, I don't know, something like 700 grand. Yeah. This building will rent, does rent. We, we rent it to um, our training business. Um, and, it, and it rents currently for, I think it's about... 70,000 a year. I think it might be with, is that right? Uh, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe about 64,000 a year. Yeah. So effectively, that's 13 pounds a foot. And a 700,000 pound purchase, um, if you can borrow, let's say you can borrow 60% from a commercial lender, that's 420,000. They'll easily lend you that money at 3%. So you're, you're, Annual interest on the um, seven on the um, four hundred and twenty thousand is twelve thousand six hundred pounds a year. Um, so buying it effectively is costing to hold it is costing you twelve thousand six hundred pounds a year in interest. Obviously, there's capital repayments, but that comes off the loan. Versus renting it for about sixty. 5,000 a year. Mm. So you're making a huge saving on that cost. And over time, it should go up in value. They don't go quite the same level as residential, no. um, as we know. Um, so but we paid what, 495? We paid 500 for this, yeah. yeah. And it's yeah. seven now. Yeah. I must have bought that, what, eight years ago? Seven? 2013. Right, seven yeah. years ago. But we got it cheap yeah. in a recession. Yeah. So it's not the worst. No. But it's not the best. No. Yeah. yeah, way better than letting it. That sounds it. like my life at the moment. Not the worst, <laughs> but not the best. It, it, way better than renting it. Yeah, um, uh, of and, course. And it must have paid down quite a lot of the loan. Yeah, well, oh, the loan the loan has been paid down a lot. And actually, there's a loan on the one next door just on that building, and you can see it already. I think we paid 390 The loan is already at 230 Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but your main benefit is the difference between the twelve and a half grand interest mm. and the sixty grand rent, because obviously the the loan you you just pay it in and it yeah. you pay it down, don't you? So full insurance, full repairing. Yeah, as well. exactly. You don't so pay any massive. insurance. You don't yeah. pay any um, any maintenance. Mm. The the tenant does our training business, yeah. which is all offsetable for tax, and you can claim capital allowances. So if you're running your own business, there is probably almost no better investment yeah. than buying a building and renting it to your business. Mm. Or if you've got a SaaS, you, a pension, you take the money from your limited company or your LLP, your business, uh, 40000 a year can go out per partner or per director into the pension. You can go back three years as well. So, you know, that could then be used to, 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 buy, the, um, to buy the building. Because mm. yeah. so the way we did it, um, we didn't, when you buy your own office, your challenge is 
you buy somewhere really big, you can grow into it, but you overpay. You buy somewhere fit for purpose now, but you might grow out of it in two or three years. And we had, we've always had this quandary. Um, so there's an office park here with two, four, six, eight, let's say 16 units, something like that. And we bought one half of a kind of double unit block. Then we bought a double unit block a couple of years later. Then we bought the other half of the half unit and knocked it through. So we bought our office. Then we um, bought a training suite a year or two later. And then we built, bought another building and made a bigger training suite and reversed the office and the training suite. So what that enabled us to do is to grow without having to move to – because moving offices, what, could be 70, 80 grand in cost, 100 yeah. grand in costs, yeah. which obviously you lose completely. So buying like units in the same business park or, or being able to expand and grow – that certainly worked well for us. Um, obviously, everyone knows who's watching here. Progressive Property is our training business, and that's now the UK's largest property training company. But it wasn't when we started. But the great thing about being a property investor and running a training business is we were able to buy um, a commercial unit and run our courses from there. So this was huge because, I mean, if we were doing 100 events a year and having to hire 100, load, 100 London hotel rooms, I mean, that would cost hundreds of thousands of pounds, wouldn't it? <laughs> you wouldn't like it. No. Yeah, we just run them all next door over there. So it was hundreds of thousands of pounds of saving in not renting London hotel rooms and traveling to London, et cetera. So if you are in that, that's quite a niche that you might have a training business or a company as well as a, a, a property investment and business. Um, but if you are in that niche, obviously, that's of great benefit to you. So we've had a, a question here from someone called The Greasy Strangler on YouTube. Um, what cars would you buy for 500K? Well, I'll start with this. I wouldn't buy one car with 500K. I think that's too risky. I think if you get that wrong, that car could end up being 350. And also, like Mark said in the last series, this is a lot of people don't know this. The higher up the food chain of investments you go, watches, cars, art, property, mm-hmm the smaller the market is, and so the much harder it is for you to exit. So I'd probably buy more than one. Um, you can't quite get a Ferrari F40, that kind of money, unfortunately. I think they've come down a bit, but that is my favourite classic car, and that's got to be good for the long term, I would have thought, any any sort of um, hypercar or supercar Ferrari. But, of course, mileage, heritage, all of this stuff is like really important, and to be honest, a bit above my pay grade. Um, would you just buy a load of pagodas, <laughs> a load of Mercedes? Buy, yeah, buy, probably buy cheaper stuff. I mean, you, you could get half of a Mercedes 300 SL um, W198, which is the gold wing, which is an amazing looking thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, only a million half quid of it, for a million quid. Yeah. yeah. Or, or I was reading upstairs um, a real like concourse um, with a load of, prov- you know, really good provenance, two million quid. Two and a half million quid. Mm. Yeah. Um, but you really need to know what you're doing. This is the yeah. problem. There you are really a lot of, need yeah. to know what you're doing. There are a lot yeah. of nice cars out there. And you look, and yes, they are a lot more than they were 10 years ago, but you've got to know the market. So um, someone has just said, is this live? Yes, this is live. It is 5.20, according to uh, my watch. Although, of course, if you're watching the recording, it won't be live. Um, I think if you want to buy um, classic cars as an investment, I would say a wise thing to do is start with a fairly cheap one. What was the model of that Merc one that's about 10-odd grand, the SL? I think it's 129. I'll just check. Yeah, something like that. But there's, it, is it sort of 1990s? Yeah. It's that square I, I shape. Just, yeah. I think, I think they're great. Yeah. Yeah. So Mark's just going to find that. Yeah, R129. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what are they going for now? Um Oh, yeah. I, I, I mean, you can, yeah, you can get one for 10 grand. You, you might want to get it, you know, slightly better one. Yeah. Um, so, depending on your budget. So Mark and I bought a Ferrari 430 Spider, and we bought one with really high mileage and probably one of the worst condition Ferrari 430 Spiders that were on the market. We got it cheap. We got sort of very low running cost. But, um, yeah, if, if you buy a lower mileage, better quality one in the end, you'll probably be better off. Um, I mean, yeah, there's a few there. Um, so 15 grand yeah 15 there you probably get that for 15 yeah 50,000 miles I love the I love the sky nice. I love yeah. them yeah yeah and they saw and you shut the door and, you know they're, they're a proper thing yeah 
you know? Yeah. I'm probably a lot nicer to drive than a Pagoda or, a, well, definitely nicer to drive than a Goldwing or anything because they're so much newer, aren't they? Yeah. 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 So um, probably work your way up, get yourself a few cars, but then of course you've got to have garage, insurance, storage, trickle charge, keep them out of the damp, all this of that. This is true. This is true. This is true. However, um, I've really, you know, because this is something which bothers me, um, and I've I've sort of really been honing in on this, and I've sort of attacked the insurance this last time, and and managed to go down the road of with the Testarossa, of finding a classic car policy um, that's only really works if your car is garaged. Um, but it cost it cost 280 quid for the year, which I think... Even with me on the policy. We're both on it, mate. <laughs> wow. yeah, because all your smelly stuff's... <laughs> all my points are gone. Uh, no, the bit before that. It, it's almost <laughs> yeah. all gone. Um, yeah, honestly, that, every, every time I get my car, that rings in my ear. Rob, drive slowly, keep Mark happy. We're, <laughs> we're at about 280 on that. The, yeah. The, 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 um, the Lambo wasn't quite as cheap, was it? No, but we got that sorted this year as well. Yeah. Um, the, the, um, the, the, uh, the road tax, when they get to 40 years old, there is no road tax, yeah. it finishes. Um, and... Uh, when they get to forty years old, there's no MO, uh, there's no MOT. Right. Um, so that goes. You'd probably want to get that done anyway. Yeah. Um, do you need to service it every year? Probably not. Not if you drive it fifteen hundred miles. No. So actually, what you need is a garage and yes, yeah, some money for maintenance. But if it's forty years old or just about to be, it's probably going to cost you if you're you know a reasonable age. I don't know, no more than two fifty three hundred quid a year in insurance. And some petrol mm. and the maintenance, mm. um, which becomes a lot more interesting, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah, I like yeah. I like the sound of that. Yeah. Mm. So um, if you're going to go into classic cars, build, work your way up, and build your way up to the a more expensive model. Start to get to learn about it. We've we're trying not to repeat ourselves from previous episodes. So go back through them. But we believe if you really enjoy something, you have a passion for something, you're going to learn how to do it as well, if not better than anyone else. Also, Mark and I always enlist experts. So you have your guy, don't you? Goes and checks yeah. all the Ferraris out. Who's yeah? So we have um, a special. Anal would be the oh, word, wouldn't it? Well, when we had the Ferrari um, sort of um, you know repaired um, before five eight. Yeah, he did a thirty-page report with problems, pain issues, and just errors that you know the the um, the body shop had made when they were sort of crash repairing that car and he restores old ferraris he did a 250 gto worth i i think it was worth over 10 million pounds mm. um so he the anality levels with him <laughs> are on a completely different level i sent him this pagoda and he did a rip it to bits he did a a one minute sort of review and he noticed uh, the door cards wrong the you know one of the 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 valances is wrong this is wrong that's wrong just went through it you know and then I'm, I'm sort of negotiating away at the moment. If it, if 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 it ends up being the right price, I'll I'll sort of say, well, it's subject to what Simon says, and mm. then and then he'll go out and just find a load more wrong with it. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, when we bought yeah. the Testarossa, um, which we paid what 105 plus bits yeah. for that, yeah. we sent him off, and I just thought, oh well, he's going to come back and he's going to say that's a complete dog because that's no, what no. he does to every car. Yeah, and he thought it was really pristine, didn't he? Yeah, it was great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so um, it's yeah. done, done all right that car. Yeah. Um, just a bit of a thing with classic cars. A lot of people don't know they aren't. They're nice to drive for experience, like stinking of petrol, <laughs> um, but like no power steering. I mean, the Testarossa is an absolute dog to drive because it's, it's got it really, yeah. really. It's like a tractor, um, so you have to sort of remember these things. You probably could get a, like a, a Countach, a Lamborghini Countach, for under half a million, couldn't you? I'll have a look. I don't know that sort of thing. Again, it's kind of high-level stuff. Anyway, but while Mark's looking for that, uh, watches. So again, I have someone, um, a a couple, well, one particular dealer who's good on prices, and I trust. Um, Patek Philippe's are probably the way to go. Maybe Richard Meals, if you want to invest some of that five hundred thousand pound in watches, I would go for limited editions, ideally. The Nautilus model, especially the gold chrono there's a, a nautilus gold chrono tiffany edition which is very um rare i think i saw that in the 80s now that's probably in the 150s plus 
don't forget, do your own diligence because, you know, our prices could be outdated when you watch this video and they're just estimations. Um, Nautilus's and Richard Meal are very high and very popular and they could drop. Um, but long term, uh, a complicated um, Patek Philippe um, or fairly complicated Richard Meal. Richard Meal make all sorts of different materials and models. I'd probably stick personally to the RM11. Um, a lot of watches the gold, in gold, they go down, but when you get to the complications and the higher end models, Rolex Daytona, vintage Daytonas, 60s, 70s, um, gold, they're hundreds of thousands of pounds now. So, um, yeah, you could certainly start buying up. Um, you could buy some gold Daytonas, for example. Um, don't get all the blingy ones with all the diamonds on and all that kind of stuff. Don't have them aftermarketed or, you know, adapted. S probably the same with, with cars, buy them uh, original. Something that we said in previous um, episodes was not just about investing for profit, but sometimes you want to spend money. You might want to buy a music system. You might want to buy a car to drive. And so Mark buys Porsche 911s a few years old because he's found that they're, um, he minimizes the depreciation compared to, say, buying a, I don't know, a top-of-the-range Range Rover or something like that. We bought an Aerial Atom, and we must have got pretty much what we yeah, paid for got it all the money back, I think. Yeah. yeah. So we had, what, about three years of use out of that? Yeah. I think we gave 26 and got 26 yeah. or something back. Yeah. So basically, obviously – not um, repairs, uh, maintenance and insurance, but other, but just get stuff. Capital value, yeah, non-depreciative. Not if you're, new. If you're buying an old, a classic car like this, and it's non-depreciative, it, it might not be going up. But if you're paying three hundred quid a year in insurance, and it's not going down, and you're not paying any sort of tax or you know MOT or anything like that, then it's like it's. It's almost free motoring, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Well, we just got, maint maintenance and, and fuel and all right, cost of capital. Yeah. Yeah. But we got um, almost free motoring with the 458, almost free motoring with the 430, give or take a few grand yeah. a year. And because we share grand it, on each one, max, yeah, and max. then we share it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's something else you can do when you buy classics or sports cars or something like that. You could share them if you've got a business partner, something like that. Right. Now let's go back to property, Mark. Um, some people say if they, you know, you hear people say, oh, if I won the lottery or I've had a big lump of money, I'd pay my mortgages down. I'd pay yeah. my mortgages off. I, I get the impression you probably wouldn't do no, that. No, I wouldn't do that. Because, because borrowing money um, on a residential mortgage is just about as cheap as you can get money for. I mean, you could borrow money, you know, on a tracker mortgage at about 1.5% on your house, maybe 2% for a fixed rate. Um God, there's, there's no cheaper borrowing, is there really? Not widely available. Um, you know, and you could use that to go and invest, mm. uh, to go and do these projects or buy, you know, sort of small single lets or, yeah. you know, or whatever, and it easily earn sort of 5 10 15%, yeah. And um, how much would you leverage up on the 500 gram? Would you use leverage? Um, yeah, I mean, on your residential, um, on your own home, it depends how much you're earning. You know, you might be able to borrow, I don't know, about four or five times your income. Um, and they may lend you up to, I don't know, about 80%. Maybe they go to 90, but the rates get a lot higher. Um, so, yeah, I, I tend to not, I think on mine now, I'm in the 60s, something like that. And I'll, I'll let it go down to about 60%. And I'll, well, mind you, my wife's involved. So I'll, it'll have to just drift cut, down. Cut, yeah, cut, cut. It'll, it'll have to just drift down. But if she wasn't yeah. there, I'd probably re-leverage it back to 60%. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Fine. So companies, businesses, we've talked in the early series how to invest five grand, 10 grand, 25 grand. You can actually bootstrap a company and you can start it with little or no money. Mark and I started with 300 quid each in a bank account, bought a few bits of Ikea furniture, a couple of Dell computers, and we started Progressive Property and we grew that into a, an eight figure a year business. So you don't need lumps of capital. But I do have friends and business partners, associates um, that say to me, well, Rob, you know, all the risk is at the start of a company or all, all the pain is in building it. You could just buy one that's already going. You know, would you consider buying a company with 500 grand? Well, you could do, but you really need the experience to know if what you're buying is any good, because people will usually try and sell you um, something that works for them. Uh, and, you know, often you'll end up buying a load of rubbish. Um, so and then the critical thing, this is the biggest thing, you won't know how then to run it uh, because you didn't build it and it wasn't necessarily a good fit for you. 
uh, and a lot of the special sauce walks out the door with the previous owner. Yeah. Um, so um, I mm. think if you know what you're doing, understand that industry, fine, uh, but maybe not as a newbie. Yeah. So we are looking at letting agencies and training companies. Why? Because we have letting agencies and training companies. We're not looking at hairdressers or beauty salons. Or, you know, Of course, there's going to be lots of companies that are going to struggle post-COVID lockdown. But I definitely agree with Mark, buy what you know. But on the other side of that, is there likely to be some cheap companies coming up? I think up? so. I think leisure, hospitality, hotels, childcare, um, loads of those types of, of businesses, uh, they're going to be really struggling. Well, they already are struggling. Mm. Yeah. Someone's put here on Facebook, buy two shares in Berkshire Hathaway. Is one share in Berkshire Hathaway 250 grand now? Yeah, it could be. Wow. I interviewed yeah. Nolan Bushnell last week. Do you know, he hired Steve Jobs. He mentored Steve Jobs. And Steve Jobs offered him a third of Apple for 50 grand. <laughs> he offered him a third of Apple for 50 grand. Let's get you yeah, and he, I know. And it's worth 1.3 trillion. What's he got to say about that? Um, he said, well, to be honest, if, if I'd have gone in with him, it probably wouldn't have been a success. And he said how his journey wouldn't have been the same had he invested in him. And he, Maybe that's his sanity story. Yeah, well, I was just, that's what went through my head. <laughs> the other thing is he would have been diluted somewhat, wouldn't of he? Because they'll have had to have taken a load yeah. of capital in. Yeah, yeah, it would have, but still. But it would. He, it, yeah, I bet it'd be, um, well, how many billion would he have? That, that exactly. would be the question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, I think we're good. Should we take a couple of questions, Harry? Uh, are there any questions on the live? Oh, Kurt. How are you doing, Kurt? So Kurt's on our Inner Circle Mastermind Elite. This is dying, Kurt. Um, what's your view on private cherished number plates as an asset class? Um, I've looked at these quite a bit, and um, every time someone, I, I've I've got friends that have, have got them, and uh, all I ever sort of every time they come to try and sell them, they never seem to quite get back what uh, they sort of expected. Um, I think there are very big margins if you go and buy something from Reg Transfers or one of those. I think there's so much margin in there. I think they're immediately worth a hell of a lot less. It's a bit like buying a diamond off the high street. Um, so I think if you're going to buy those, get them off DVLA directly. Um, they're a lot cheaper, those DVLA auctions. Um, but I would start small and then try and sell them and then see the, the reality of what they're actually worth because a lot of the time they're worth bugger all, even though you've spent a lot of money on it. This... Um yeah, you see this a lot in quite a lot of classes. And I think often as well, a key is getting in quite early. Yeah. So web domains is similar, isn't it? Um, you know, everyone was buying up web domains, or it seemed, a bit after the initial sort of um, growth of it and thinking that you're going to make a load of money out of um, web domains. Yeah. But buying and selling web domains now, do, do people even do it anymore exactly. and make money out of it? But yeah. if you own, I don't know, sex.com, apparently, well, apparently that's the most valuable, you laugh, Harry, but that is the most valuable website, apparently. But of course, you can't get any of those old domain names anymore, just like you can't get A1 number plate anymore. No. Um, so, look, we don't know a lot about it. And the key is always knowing a lot about it. And if you're a broker or a trader in it, you probably can make a bit on it like you could in watches. But um, I I've seen a lot of pe people try and sell me number plates for things that don't even really spell the word yeah. um, for a lot of freaking money. I thought, who's going to buy that off me? Um, They're not. No. Um, I mean, it's like you say, Robert, you know, if you could get A1 or, I don't know, um, RM1 or, you know, you know, I think King's was the highest value one that yeah. sold for 200 and whatever thousand. Right? If you can get something like that and pay reasonable money for it there's probably a market isn't mm. there but i imagine that you're going through a broker most of the time and yeah. paying massive money mm. so in the future there's going to be the new version of a website or a cryptocurrency web domain cryptocurrency reg plates etc so just keep an eye out for these things and get in relatively early where because i bet you i don't know however many years ago when you could buy number plates a1 was probably a few hundred quid yeah. Uh, a sports Rolex in the 70s and 80s was not really much more than a grand, yeah. um, you know, for like a Daytona. So probably the key is getting in a bit early and not late. People always ask us about cryptocurrencies. Um, it's not our area of speciality. 
Um, Mark and I are both quite wary in that we think you've got to know what you're doing. We think you should use risk capital, which is capital you could afford to lose. And the problem is with Bitcoin and cryptos is everyone talks about it when it's going up, 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 up. But that's probably not the right time to buy. You probably wanted to buy when it was bear, not bull. Um, so everyone's talking about it now. Like I, I talk about Patek Philippe's and the Nautilus model. They're great watches, but they have gone up a hell of a lot. And so you, your timing of what you buy is really important as well. And sometimes it's wise to wait for the market to come back down. Um, gold or silver, Mark, would you ha hold any physical? Yeah, I definitely hold physical gold. Um, you know, not the sort of thing that you are buying and you think someone else is holding. I would buy it. I'd get it in your hand and then I'd put it in a vault somewhere. Um, and, um, yeah, maybe buy Kruger Rands, you know, mm. you know, obviously they've gone up a lot. They've probably gone down actually the last few days with the talk of all the vaccines. Mm. Uh, we've got the, um, results from the second vaccine today over 95%, uh, effective apparently. So you can see the stock market has shot up. Gold has come down. A lot of the gold miners have come down. Amazon, the online stuff, a lot of those have come down because, um, you know, there'd be less people, or the perception is there will be less people shopping online versus the, the sort of real economy. Mm. All right. So, Harry, I think we're good, unless there's any other questions. Three more. All right. Fire them in then. So this is from Sharon. Would you advocate buying with no survey and just using comparable prices, or would you have a survey done as valuation leverage? Um, I think it just depends how much you know the local market. If you don't know the asset that well, then you want to get a valuation um, you know, is the property particularly old? You know, is it likely to have structural issues? Maybe a structural survey is more value uh, valuable than a, a valuation report if you know the values in the areas better than the surveyors, as you should do if you're buying a lot of a lot of property stock. Thanks, Harry. My brother has an E-type which has never been registered, sitting in a barn, needs a full restoration. Had it since he was 21. He's 50 now. I bet if that's going to be worth a few quid if he gets it restored up a thought yeah it's just quite interesting whenever you talk to the um guys that sell classic cars they do keep saying you're much better to buy one that has been restored because the people that sort of buy them and then spend the money on restoring them never get the money back right um so i don't know he might be better selling it as a shell to someone else to then restore it to, to restore it yeah okay would you buy a countryside property in Devon for entrepreneurs, businesses to have week-long masterminds, team building? Uh, no. <laughs> um, Peter, obviously it depends where you're based. And if you're based there and know that area really well, that's a tick in the box. Do people travel to Devon uh, to do masterminds and team building events? Mark's looking at me we like, did it, didn't we? we did do one, yeah. yeah, because you didn't want to do it expensive. No, I didn't. No. <laughs> I found it really cheap. I was like, let's ship them off there because, yeah. <laughs> you know, the hotel were offering such a great deal. And the delegates didn't like going all that way, did they? No. No. No, it, it, no. yeah, it is. Um, I, I don't know. You've got to look at the demand in the area. Um, I, I can imagine there are many other places entrepreneurs and business owners would want to go to have a week-long mastermind other than Devon. Nothing against Devon because obviously some nice places there. Um, yeah, we did do one event there, but that was only because we were on a shoestring because we bought a company that used to do them in Bali. Or Bali's probably a bit sexier, isn't it? But a lot more expensive. Capri. Yeah, Capri. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Riding in on horses. Though. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we stripped those costs right down. Um, I think as well... A lot of people have this sort of romantic notion um, of doing service accommodation or masterminds or retreats, you know, in a nice rural location. Um, but, you know, do a lot of people go there? And if a lot of people don't, then you're going to have a lot of empty days of the year and that's going to cost you. I think also it's easy, isn't it, to um, lead with your heart rather than your head. Oh, this would make, I know, I had a friend of mine, he was our business partner for a while, and you'll know who I'm talking about when I say he wanted to set up a yoga retreat. Yeah. And he wanted to buy this place somewhere in the middle of nowhere in Europe and have this yoga and holistic retreat. And it, I think it's a nice vision to have for your heart, to have really nice um, ethical business and, you know, really nice vegan food and, and, and yoga and spirituality and all of this. But um, in the middle of nowhere, um, 
just don't think anyone would have done it. I don't think it's a practical, realistic business model. You have to think practically and commercially um, when you run a business. Realistic way to turn 500 grand to a million in 24 myths. I assume Glenn means months, not myths. <laughs> yeah, because it might be a myth. So how, how if you had a goal, gun to your head, I've kidnapped Freddie, I've got him, you've got 24 months to turn 500 quid into a million, what are you going to do? I, d I just don't. I, I think that's an unrealistic goal. Um, Try and, and get as close as possible then. What would you do? Well, it just involves taking a ridiculous amount of risk that's got a good chance of losing um, a lot of that capital. Um, okay, fine. You could probably, if you want to put all your time and all your energy into buying really cheap sort of single lets property, um, developing it or buying the single lets very cheap, remortgaging, refurbing, refurbing remortgaging um, or... or you know, converting, yeah, maybe. But I mean, if you're talking about being passive or not putting your back into a full-time business, um, I, I just think that um, that's an un that's unrealistic. Mm. Yeah, I, it always fascinates me why people ask that kind of question. Yeah, why do you need to turn five hundred grand to a million in twenty-four months? Why wouldn't you want to make the best use of five hundred grand for the long term? Surely yeah. that's a better question. But it, there might be something individual that drove that question. I know what I would do, and it's not passive. I'd put it into marketing to grow our company. Yeah. I think if Mark had a gun to my head and had my kids, and he's given me 500 grand and said, give me a 2 million back in two years, I reckon if I put them into Facebook ads, YouTube ads, Google ads, and to growing my training business, I reckon that would be my best chance. Yeah, we do it, yeah. Mm. So thanks, Glenn, for the question. Chris, do you think the property market will fall next year after stamp holiday and furlough stops? Reasonably high probability. Um, however, we've been wrong all of this year. <laughs> yeah. um, Boris just seems, um, well, he, he seems a bit of a lefty, to be honest. And, um, you know, he's, he's told Rishi that he can just keep doling the money out, um, which has supported the economy, which is great, but we're all going to be paying for it forever. Um, so, um yeah, your guess is as good as mine. How do I know what, what extra support and money Boris and Rishi are going to pile out next year? I don't. Mm. Uh, but I, I think if they weren't doing it, yes, things are going to fall. At some point. Um, I mean, we were, what, 2008, last recession, 12 years into that. So one was due in the next few years, surely, if you look at cycles. Um, oh, but it's 18 years, Rob. No. It's exactly 18. No. Some say 12, some say 15. Oh, is it? Yeah. yeah. I suppose okay. it depends on how much ulterior motives on their marketing angles they've got on the story that they tell you. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I think we. I, if I look at certain asset classes that I'm in, the prices are quite high. Um, usually, you often have high leverage, and we haven't got really high leverage at the moment. Usually, rates go up. We haven't got really high rates at the moment, very low rates. So I think each cycle brings a new challenge, stuff that you didn't know before that people try and predict but can't predict. Um, but there is a very high likelihood that at some point in the not too distant future, like within you'd have thought this, a short number of years, the property market would have to correct. The economy is likely to correct. You would have thought. Okay. Any more, Harry? Got a few more. Oh, would you move from buy-to-let HMO portfolio into local authority learning disability in independent living units? I think that's very much dependent on the deal that you have with the local authority and the experience that you've got uh, in providing those units. I don't know anything about that. Um, so if the local authority were happy to give me a lease to use my units for that sort of thing, um, you know, uh, with, with good rent, of course, we would um, do as many of those as possible with the local authority covenant on the other end of the lease. Um, but we don't know anything about uh, learning disability or independent living units. So I wouldn't be running those myself. They're very, very niche as well. I know a few people um, in our city who talk about it, and I only know one or pe two people who do it. And it's very, very niche. The problem when it's really, really niche is yes, it's hard to get in. So it's a bit of a captain market once you're in because it's hard to get in, but it's also really hard to get out. You've got all those conversion costs, so you've got extra capital outlay. Um, you might often, when there's these quirky changes of use, you end up having to change them back. So you've got to work out what the original use value is. 
Um, and I think you've got to have a desire to get better at it than anyone else. One thing I will say is, of course, you are new when you are new. So just because Mark and I don't know loads about cryptocurrency doesn't mean you shouldn't go and learn it. Just because we don't know much about buying super um, classic cars over 200 grand doesn't mean you shouldn't go and learn it. But I think the key is go and learn it and then start small. So our, our first HMO was just a small 100 grand, wasn't it? In a re- Actually, yeah. it was probably a bit too cheap. Um, but st- start with something fairly small because really the only way you know is to test by actually doing it. Start running ads, YouTube ads, Facebook ads, Google ads. How do you know what keywords work, what, um, what target groups work, what ad copy works? You don't until you run a, a, a series of split tests. Harry, any more questions? It's been a long one, this one. But what do you want more? Yeah, let's do it. Let's get them done. So this is from Carl. How about purchasing a ready-made buy-to-let portfolio from an older landlord looking to get out, subject to personal inspections? That could be really good if you check every single property on an individual basis and work out uh, and you know ascertain that you're getting them for a good price. You make sure every tenant has been properly referenced and they're paying all their rent. You'd probably want to see bank statements and a, a schedule of, of rents, um, you know, that they're in the right areas. Um, and, yeah, you take each property on an individual basis, make sure there's not too much maintenance to do, uh, you know, works to do and all that sort of thing. That can be a great way to enter uh, at scale. Because we've, we've been offered a lot of portfolios and you'd have thought to um, save time and to have scale – We'd have bought a few portfolios, but you end up going through them all and thinking most of them are shy. Well, they make all the values up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it doesn't always happen, but, you know, they just put them up to bring them down again. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Harry. Next question. What do you think of the new capital gains tax rules announced by the Chancellor? Which ones are those then? I don't think there are any that have. No. I think there's talk, isn't there? Yeah. So um, the Chancellor um, asked the, I think it's the Office, office of Budget simplification uh, or tax simplification to do a report on capital gains tax and they've come back and lo and behold they say it's too low uh, and that it's creating perverse uh, imbalances um, because uh, income tax is so much higher and therefore capital gains tax should be the same level Um, but there's nothing from the chancellor there's nothing from him saying that he's going to do that obviously he's going to upset a lot of his constituents um, and Conservative Party voters. Um, so who knows what he's going to do? No, there are, there are, there, there's no sort of uh, announcement on that yet. But uh, I would imagine capital gains tax probably will go up. Um, so at the moment, it's 20 percent, even if you're a high weight taxpayer, which I've thought for a long time is, is you know, it's a really good rate. Um, but can you imagine if they put CGT up to 45 percent top rate? Um, so effectively, any money you make from the increase in assets of uh, it, the increase in value of assets, um, you, you get to keep 65 percent of that money. Um, then when you die, um, you, your, your heirs will pay 40 um, percent tax on that money. Um, so you'll be paying they'll be paying 40 percent tax on the 65 percent that you've got to keep. It's all pretty unjust, isn't it? Um, but that's forty-five percent. It'd be fifty-five percent, wouldn't it? Yeah, the the yeah, you you'd pay the forty-five percent on the so you on get fifty-five percent so you yourself. Get, you get fifty-five percent yourself, and then you'll pay forty percent tax on the fifty-five yeah. percent. Yeah. Which Sorry, yeah, all, like, yeah, that's all right, yeah. yeah. Almost halved it again, so yeah. you'll end up with about thirty percent of your capital gain. <laughs> or your as will, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Brace yourself. Um, but, of course, none of us know what's going to happen. And there are always um, tax breaks as well as um, taxation um, drains and capital allowances being one of them, which has been a great tax break. So I'm sure there'll be things that you can do to solve these issues as well. Any other questions, Harry? Yeah. You two remind me of the two Ronnies sitting there. Thank you, Amanda. <laughs> Do you think all the government money printing will hold up asset prices due to devaluation on the pound? Um, so I don't think the pound is devalued necessarily. Um, QE, if that's what you're referring to when you say money printing, um, maybe creates 
long-term inflation. But at the moment, what they're trying to do is offset deflation and, and sharp deflation. Uh, and clearly, it has um, pushed asset prices up, and it will continue to do that for the next few years. Um, but um, I don't know. Um, is the pound devaluing? Well, I suppose if there's some inflation, then yes, it is. Um, but at the moment, we're trying to stave off deflation, which is actually an appreciation of the pound. Thanks, Mark. Any more, Harry? Last one. All right, last question. So this is from a new paradigm. Long, long term, what do you think about Brexit affecting the UK market in terms of immigration, therefore the property market? Well, uh, you know, it, immigration rules changed a while ago um, and less people have been coming in. Uh, obviously, Nigel Farage still videos people coming over on speedboats, uh, which I think his sort of um, his base like to like to see. Um, but um, it doesn't seem to have affected much in terms of property price change, does it? Yeah. Um, um, still housing shortage. Obviously, we, we are building more, but we're still not building enough. Um, so seem to. Unless the biggest change will come if they relax, if they genuinely relax planning rules and and start building, um, you know, on you know, greenfield and greenbelt on mass. Um, but you know, the speed at which Boris makes decisions, uh, if you believe the um, a lot of the conjecture coming out of uh, um, number ten uh, through the back door or the front door, uh, because obviously Dominic Cummings walked out of there last week. Dominic Cummings, um, yeah. and and he's um, <laughs> he's he, he, clearly we're going to get lots of little you know insights and, and tidbits from him now for the next few weeks whilst he dishes the dirt. And um, if you believe any of that, Doris, uh, Boris, Doris, Boris Dithers, uh, and doesn't make um, decisions very quickly. Um, so all this stuff about build, build, build and changing the planning rules. Yeah, he's, he's changed permitted development rights, but he's, he's sort of given with one hand and taken with the other. Um, that's, that'll do something. But um, in terms of sort of new builds on, I don't know, greenfield sites, greenbelt and all that sort of stuff, do you really believe that's going to change very much? Well, Theresa May said she was going to change it and she didn't. Uh, prior to that, uh, Cameron and um, Osborne said they were going to do it and they didn't. Uh, and before that, I remember Gordon Brown saying he was going to do it, and he didn't. Um, so, um, you know, usually the past is the best guide to the future. Thanks, Mark. So uh, I think the two Ronnies used to say at the end, and it's good night from me, and it's good night from him, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we obviously didn't play that very well, but uh, thanks for tuning in. So next week, yeah, uh, make sure you subscribe to the channel, which is tiny.cc forward slash PPTV, all capitals. Harry, if you could put the link on the screen, tiny.cc forward slash PPTV, all capitals.